0: All right, thank you, choir, and uh, Stephen, for leading that today. Trust him. And uh, if you could take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. I'd like to just take a time just to do a little bit of review. Um, We've been studying through this year the Gospel of Luke in Sunday mornings. And we are moved into Luke chapter 9 in a very busy chapter. It's a transition chapter. And uh, when we meet again in a couple weeks, we will look at um, that text where Jesus is transfigured before the disciples. And then he makes his journey after that transfiguration. He makes, starts his journey back to Jerusalem or towards Jerusalem to be crucified, uh, seen in Luke chapter 9. But I want to go back to Luke chapter 4 and just see in chapter 4 and verse 36 and 37... And just remind us where we've come from, and just take a look at Jesus again, and who he is. In Luke 4, in verse 36, and they were all amazed, and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands, and the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. The fame of him. I like to talk this morning about the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to lift him up and see him. And we are to be pointed to him every Sunday, every time we open the scripture. I believe whether you're in the Old Testament, the scripture looks forward. Or in your New Testament, where the scripture looks back, it looks to the Lord Jesus Christ whom God is, through whom God is glorified. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing. Father, as we look at the scripture today, would you encourage our hearts as we open up the word of God and just see Jesus this morning. Would our eyes be turned to Christ and would we reflect upon what he has done, what he has said, and what is famous about him, what is reported, what is, what is noised abroad about the Lord Jesus, even 2,000 years later, that we are still meeting together, to hear about Jesus. And as the song said this morning, more about Jesus, more about his words, more about what he's done. And Lord, would we never get over what Jesus Christ has done for us, who he is, and what we are waiting on and anticipating uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen. You ever met someone or seen someone famous um, uh, my sister was in a restaurant in Hawaii where she taught years ago and uh, she was sitting there in the restaurant. She looked across uh, the restaurant and there was a movie star who was recording or, or filming a movie who had stopped by to eat something and, and, um, and, and she recognized this movie star and uh, decided to approach and get a signature from, from this movie star. And uh, it wasn 't long ago that uh, I was able to meet somebody or at least see somebody famous. Uh, we got uh, tickets and, um, and we were able to get a uh, uh, plan ahead of time and then drive over and, and uh, This person was meeting in, uh, in a field in an area here in Alabama and uh, we had to go through and follow the lines and, and walk and all these thousands of people that were lined up all over the place and uh, waiting to meet this famous person. We had to go through the metal detectors and get patted down and there was security everywhere. There's a fenced in area. And we kind of came up in, in, uh, in the crowd and of course we got all together and the stage is set up and of course I'm all the way back you know in the very back portion. That was the tickets that I got in the back portion and I'm like Zacchaeus jumping up and down trying to see over people's shoulders and I can't see. And finally you know, the music is played and then out on the stage out walks Donald J. Trump onto the platform. And uh, here he is, he's giving his speech, and uh, as he talks, and, and uh, giving, giving his rally, and being able to see, I got to see the president, I got to see someone famous. I remember as a boy, my grandfather used to say, uh, in uh, Columbus, Georgia, where he was stationed at Fort Benning, that uh, one day the president came, and it was President Ford, and uh, it was at the time, uh, and he was able to, to see Uh, to see him and and just the things that that are interesting that uh, you get to see some famous people maybe you've seen someone famous and uh, you thought you were big stuff because you got to see the president or you got to see a movie star you got to see a a certain athlete you know we all like to to get around and be around famous people there is no person in all of human history more famous than the Lord Jesus Christ he is the most famous person To have ever lived. And here in this passage of scripture we hear of the fame that was spread abroad throughout all of Galilee. Everyone wanted to see Jesus. Everyone wanted to be where he was. Everyone was so excited and thrilled and and to, to be able to meet him and see him and just to touch his garment. Jesus was the one that they had come out to see and to hear from. He was famous what was it about jesus that made him famous we're still talking about him we have churches all over the world that meet and worship his, his him and and talk about him the scriptures that we have that are inspired that are given to us by the holy spirit about jesus christ and we are anticipating him to come back and to take us home with him and we live our whole life around this one person jesus of nazareth what was so famous about him what is famous about him Why don't we just want to say and remind you, as we have been studying through the gospel of Luke, where we have come from and where we are, that first of all, his words are famous. His words are famous. Look in the verse in verse 36. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out of him. Look in chapter 6, just a couple uh, uh, chapters away, in verse 17. And he came down with them and stood in a plain in the company of his disciples. And a great mold of people came out from all of Judea, all of Jerusalem, from the east coast of Tyre and Sidon. Even outside of Jerusalem they were coming, which came to hear him. His words were famous. What a preacher the Lord Jesus Christ is, is and was. I can't imagine being underneath the preaching of Jesus. Just thinking about what he sounded like. Did he have a deep voice? Did he have a high voice? Did he have a Galilean accent? Kind of like a southern accent when he talked. Could you, could you pick him out? What, what kind of words? What, what kind of voice did he have? What kind of preacher was he? Obviously, we have some glimpses throughout the Gospels that he used humor, he, he used object lessons, he was dynamic. At times, he was, he was straightforward. I don't think he was ever boring. However, I do believe that people fell asleep when he preached, even Jesus As he would preach. they All the different types of things with the Lord Jesus Christ. The questions and answers and the times to be able to be a disciple under the feet of Jesus. And ask him a question. Even like Mary who sat at his feet. And heard him as he preached and he taught. Even the religious leaders who in the temple in Luke chapter 2. When Jesus was found there. Among the scholars and the scribes and the PhDs. And as he spoke as a 12 year old boy. They were astonished at his answers. Astonished at his questions to be there the Lord Jesus Christ the Bible tells us in this passage that he spoke with authority he spoke with power in Luke 2 and verse 47 when they heard him they were astonished at his understanding in John chapter 5 and verse 26 and 27 listen to what the Bible says John says about him for as the father hath life in himself so hath he given to the son to have life in himself And He hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ knew as the Son of Man and the Son of God, He and the Father were one. And God had given Him His power to come to this earth. And as God in flesh, when He spoke, He spoke the very authority and power of God. That's why when they saw Him speak to these demons and they were cast out, they were astonished that just with a word and the unclean spirits would obey Him. We read about a few months ago about a man who had been possessed by a legion of demons who had come to Him and as soon as Jesus stepped off of the Galilee and off the boat, there He was and this legion of demons just by one word that Jesus could expel all of them with His power. Even when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the boat that we read about, when he was there with the disciples, and he was asleep, and the winds and the waves that came, and there on the Galilee, as the disciples thought that they were going to perish, and they reached out to him and said, Lord, don't you care what we're going through? And Jesus, in his tenderness and compassion, but also his power, as he stood up on that boat, and he said, peace be still, and the winds and waves ceased, and the waters were calm. And the Bible says that the disciples looked at themselves and said, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey His word. They knew they were standing in the presence of an almighty God who could speak and His words had power. And when He spoke, the very word of God came forth from His lips. He also not, spoke with, not only spoke with power, but He also spoke with compassion. We have seen situation after situation throughout the Gospel of Luke where Jesus Christ is confronted with hurting people. People who are diseased, people who are, who, are, who are sick, people who are who are hurting, people who are blind, people who are deaf, people who have been in, in prostitution and in, de- in the depths of sin, people who have been outcast and thrown away, people who have been pushed out of the synagogue, people who have been pushed out of society, Gentiles and Jews and, and Pharisees and, and Sadducees and the political elite and also the lowest and the low of the class. And yet when the Lord Jesus Christ came and he spoke to them, he spoke with tenderness and compassion. In the Gospel of John, he comes to a lady who is coming to the well. And there the Lord Jesus Christ has an encounter with this woman who has been deep in sin and had many different relationships that it had. And Jesus opens up a conversation of tenderness and compassion as he leads her to this living water and then offers to her forgiveness. And when she runs away and goes to tell everyone, she tells them, listen, here is a man who knows all that I've done and yet he still loves me and still cares for me. Jesus had words of compassion. I even think of the conversations he had with Judas, who will later in this gospel betray him. And yet the tenderness of his, him dealing with Judas, showing his love and care and compassion. I often think as a pastor, what more could I have said to help someone out of sin? What more could I have done to be able to encourage someone to go away from sin and come to the Savior? And I look oftentimes at the people that I've invested in and I've talked to and I've preached to and see how they've walked away from God. And then I'm reminded, what more could Jesus have done for Judas? Did Jesus ever think that he had done enough? No, the Lord Jesus Christ loved him, cared for him, preached to him, pointed to the gospel to him over and over and over again. It wasn't about what more could Jesus have done. It was about the heart of Judas himself. Even Peter. We often think about the times that Peter failed the Lord. And yet Jesus was always there, yes, sometimes to rebuke him, as we heard about a few weeks ago, to rebuke his stubbornness, to rebuke his pride, to rebuke him when he began to think the things of man and not the things of the Lord. And yet Jesus was always tender and compassionate, stern, but loving and caring. The words of Jesus ring out as the most famous words of all time. And our Bible has them in your version probably written in red. So we can distinguish them from the other sayings. All of it is the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration, and it is God-breathed. However, it is, as the translators have been able to help us, when we open the Gospels, and we open Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we see the red letters of where the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to His disciples, spoke to the multitudes, spoke to the Pharisees, and even at times prayed and spoke to His Heavenly Father. Those are the words that are tender to us. Those are the words that have power to save. I've been to Israel a couple times. And the last time that I was there a year or so ago. We went to the Wailing Wall. Probably some of you have been to the Temple Mount. And that section that has been separated apart after the Six Day War. Where they now can be able to get as close as they can get to the Holy of Holies. Is that section of the Wailing Wall. most people don't know is that the section that you see in the pictures is just a a portion of the outside portion of what you can see. There's actually a door off to the side and some tunnels underneath the current homes that are built up and they can get right to to the closest portion of right underneath where the Holy of Holies is and it's underneath the ground and they go there and they get as close as they can to pray. When a young person has turned, a boy has turned 12 and at his bar mitzvah one of the things that they will do is they will march him down. I think they do this on Thursdays, and they will march him down and, and have a ceremony, and they will go through the metal detector with their family. They will hire a, a professional instrumentalist who will play and sing with his microphone, and they will come through and have these uh, tents that they will set up, and they march through his family, taking pictures, and they go through the metal detectors, and then they get to the place where the wailing wall, and then they go in, and the women have to go on one side, and the men go on the other side, and. There's this wall that divides the men and women. And when they will come in there, the, the tradition is against the wailing wall, there are these cabinets, what they call arks, who contained, inside those arks contain the scrolls of the Torah, the law of Moses. They're large scrolls, so sometimes they're, they're about three, four feet in, in, uh, in, in height. And they are encased in, 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 um, in these gold and silver casings that have been decora- decorated and uh, with a latch that they will open up. And inside, there were scrolls. Not, not a book format, but still a traditional scroll. And the scrolls of the Old Testament that would be wrapped up. And one of the things that they would do traditionally is that for the first time, this little boy, who has now become a man, it would be his responsibility from his grandfather or from his father to open up that cabinet, and then the father or the grandfather will take that giant scroll in his hands, lift it up in the air, and everyone would come and touch it. And then he would turn for the first time, this boy, now becoming a man, would have to carry the scrolls, the Old Testament, all by himself. And I've got a picture of a little boy, you know, just this small, scrawny little arms. He's got his arms around this giant container containing the scrolls of the Lord, walking around in that area of the wailing wall, and his family come and touch it. And he would walk over to that wall dividing where the women were, and they would just stand up on a chair. And he's the best way he can to lift that scroll up so that his 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 mother and his sisters and his aunts could reach over the wall and touch it. As he walks around, you see they worship the words in the Old Testament, the words of Moses and the words of God, yes. But did you know the Jewish people to this day still reject the words of Jesus? Not one place in any of that that they worship and that they they bow down to and that they adhere to has anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. They reject Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writings of the Apostle Paul and the others in the New Testament, even the brothers of Jesus, the half-brothers James and Jude. They don't have the New Testament because they reject the words of Jesus. Yes, they may accept Him in the sense that He was a prophet and and a great Jewish leader and, and He had the Sermon on the Mount, but they don't accept Him as the Messiah. They don't accept His words and His preaching as the Gospel the one they should believe in. And even Israel now is blinded in their disbelief of the Messiah who came to rescue them. Can I ask you today, do you neglect the words of Jesus? Do you cherish them? Do you read them? Do you long for them? Are they sweet to you in your taste and yet bitter in the stomach as it begins to, to offend you and convict you, the Word of God and our Savior who comes To show himself to us and to speak the very words of God to us. Not only his words are famous, but can I tell you his works are famous. Scripture tells us that he was famous not just because of his words, but because of what he was doing. If you're back in chapter 6, look over in that same verse that we read in verse 17. When they had come around about Judah and Jerusalem and from the seacoast and Tyre and Sidon. Which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And verse 18. And they were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went out virtue out of him. And healed them all. As we have reminded in this gospel of Luke of the occasions of the Lord Jesus Christ and his works. He performed miracles. Why did He do miracles? There's some confusion about what a miracle is. A lot of different people, we use that word miracle in, uh, in our everyday language, sometimes turned around to just speak of more of God's providence that maybe protected us from an accident or, or something that had happened that we would see the providence, the hand of God orchestrating events. But a miracle is specifically not just an extraordinary event. One definition said a miracle is a highly improbable or extraordinary event, development, or accomplishment. I believe that a miracle is far more than that. Just something that rarely happens. I believe a miracle is a supernatural working of God over the natural laws of nature and science that cannot be explained outside of a divine hand. A miracle is a, an act of God to overpower the natural realm where things don't normally work that way. They don't work that way. In fact, they were impossible to happen. And yet, because God is the Creator... He has the power to step into creation and change those laws for just a moment, or can I say it, defy those laws that, 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 that work in our world and how they are and to do something that is supernatural. And I would contend that any time a miracle is done by a servant of God or even by Jesus himself, it is always done to authenticate the divine word of God that is spoken. Let me give you, a, for instance, in the Old Testament, when Moses was standing before the burning bush, and he was commanded to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses, in his, um, in his immaturity, is, is saying, Well, Lord, not me. Maybe there would be another. And then he brings the excuse and says, Well, Lord, how do they know that you have sent me? How do they know who you are and that you have power? And he says, Moses, what's in your hand? And he sees the rod. He says, Moses, cast that rod onto the ground. Moses throws the rod on the ground and immediately it turns into a serpent. And there Moses is confronted with something that doesn't naturally happen. A rod doesn't turn into a snake. But God had performed that miracle. Then he asked Moses, which Moses very quickly regretted why he even gave this situation. He told him, said, now reach down and pick up your rod. So here, this serpent that is slithering around on the ground, and you know what happens when you pick up a serpent. I read uh, the other day on the news uh, a a teenage boy who took a selfie with a little snake that he had picked up, and then didn't realize that it was a copperhead and it bit him, and he ended up in the hospital. All right, just a little small, little small snake. Be careful. You know, a hundred percent which kind of snake you're picking up. And Moses really knew what kind of snake that was. And he reached down to pick up that serpent and it turned into a rod again. That wasn't enough for Moses. Because now he continues to ask again. And and, and God tells Moses, put your hand in your bosom. And he puts it in the bosom and pulls it out and it's leprosy. And I'm sure he wants to put his hand quickly back into his bosom again. Pulls it back in and he comes back and it's all clean. That's enough for me. But you remember when he stands before Pharaoh and he says, God, Jehovah says to let my people go. It wasn't enough for Pharaoh. And so ten times, God had to perform miraculous works through Moses to authenticate who he was and what he said. And eventually, after the tenth plague, the Pharaoh gave in. Even Elijah himself, when he was standing on Mount Carmel. As he prayed that God. He gave a test to uh, to the prophets of Baal. And to, to Jezebel and Ahab there on Mount Carmel. And he called fire down from heaven. The fire coming down from heaven. Was to authenticate the reason the miracle happened. Was to authenticate the message of Elijah. That only God Jehovah is to be worshipped. Listen to his words. In a couple of weeks we're going to have see a a session where Jesus Christ is transfigured at the Mount of Transfiguration before the eyes of the disciples. And then God will speak from heaven and tell His disciples, listen to Him, for He is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And when Jesus performed these miracles, He performed them not self-serving, but He performed them to authenticate what He said and who He was. Every miracle There is a heretical book called The Gospel of Thomas that was written probably about the 1st and 2nd century. Not long after John, the apostle, dies of the scene, there becomes a book going around called The Gospel of Thomas. It was immediately by the 1st century church and the 2nd century church rejected as a fake and not part of the canon of Scripture. And one of the reasons is because this gospel of Thomas, who was claiming to be another gospel to show descriptions of Jesus, was written by a person who was obviously um, intending to distort the gospel of Jesus. In this gospel, it tells, this gospel of Thomas told the story about when Jesus was a little boy and how that that some kids were making fun of him and so to, to get some of those kids back, he, he withered the hand of the boys that were making fun of him. So he, he just performed this miracle and these boys' hands all withered up and they ran away crying to their mom and dad. Another occasion where the kids were laughing at him in the Gospel of Thomas records that he took up stones from the ground and he, he, uh, he, he said some kind of magical words and then threw them in the air and they turned into Birds. And all the boys were, were astonished at, at this little boy Jesus who was performing these magic tricks. Listen, the early church immediately rejected books such as that because they specifically were radical changing the message of the gospel. Jesus was not self-serving in any of his miracles. That is the whole point of the temptation of the devil in, with Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus would not resort to just performing a miracle anytime he wanted to. It was only to show the power of God and authenticate the word of God. Can I remind you about some of the miracles that Jesus had done? He had fed the 5,000, two barley, five barley loaves and two small fishes. He had walked, uh, he will, we will see that he will walk on water. And Peter will see him and walk on water as well. Even Herod, as we read about in, in the previous chapter, how Herod wanted to see the miracles that Jesus would do. And that was the only reason he was there. And yet he wouldn't perform a miracle for the crowd at that moment. And Jesus even had taken a mother and a father into a, long, into a room all by themselves where their little girl had passed away. And there Jesus spoke to that little girl with words of tenderness and compassion. And he raised her from the dead. Turn over to the Gospel of John. John chapter 21. Let's just look at this verse here. Are these group of verses in John 20? Or John 21 in verse 24 and 25 at the end of this book. This is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. That which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Of all the miracles that our Lord Jesus Christ performed, John says that all the books in the world couldn't contain all the things that our Lord did. Not for himself but to authenticate who he was. And then, just interesting, as we see this, the Lord, the greatest work that Jesus ever did, it wasn't walking on water. It wasn't raising a little girl from the dead or a little boy from the dead. It wasn't the healing of, uh, of, of blind people giving them their sight or, or the deaf to hear. All of those things, as miraculous and wonderful as they were and as famous as they were, the most famous thing that Jesus ever did was he built a bridge. He was a carpenter, by the way. And the bridge that he built, as he was nailed there with his hands and with his feet upon a cross, he built a bridge between man and God. That bridge was His cross of suffering where He spilt His blood. He suffered, bled, and died. And while the wrath of God that came was poured apart on Him and on His shoulders, and through His sacrifice on the cross as He suffered between heaven and earth, He suffered and died, and He cried out these words, It is finished. He had paid the price of sin. He had paid for your price, for your sin. He had taken your death. He had taken your hell. He had defeated the devil. And on the third day, he resurrected from the grave to prove that he had death, hell, and the grave had conquered. And he he ascended into the right hand of the throne of God, showing thus that in the gospel, the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle that had ever been done was that He suffered, bled and died for all our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. A little girl this week in fourth grade came up to me at the supper supper line on Thursday night. And said, Pastor Cochran, this little girl came up. I had not met her at, at all during the week. She said, Pastor Cochran, I have great news to share. I said, what is it? She said, on Tuesday night, I came forward and trusted Christ as my Savior. I said, what a blessing. What a, and she told me a little bit about it, that she had, had prayed and trusted Christ. And she said, you know what? I've got a brother that needs to come to camp and hear about Jesus. Said, I've got parents, I've got a neighbor that lives down the road, and I got one of those gospel tracts, and I'm gonna take them and share them, that they need to come to camp. And I said, I said, yes, they should come to camp. But also, you should go and tell them about Jesus as well, that He can change their life and tell them about your church and that they could come to church and hear the greatest miracle that could ever happen is that Jesus Christ could reach down into your heart and wash your heart from sin and save you from your sins if you will accept Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The words of Jesus are famous. The works of Jesus are famous. And the greatest of the works that Jesus did was that he suffered, bled, and died, and resurrected on the third day for us. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he rose again according to the scripture, to authenticate who he was and what he can do for us. And then last here, as we close just briefly, his wounds. His wounds are famous. We've got to reach back into the Old Testament to see the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ and his scars. The wounds that he would bear. That would carry on into eternity. I believe in the life of our Savior, his wounds started, obviously, when he was born born into this world to take upon him the form of a servant, lived this life. I'm sure he skint his knee. I'm sure he probably had some scars on his hands where where in his working and the calluses on his hands I know for sure that during the time of Jesus' suffering, those 40 days in the wilderness as as He fasted, some scholars have indicated that the the fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness would have carried wounds and scars, potentially physical uh, 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 difficulties for the remainder of His life. That he bore as he sacrificed. I know in the garden of Gethsemane. He sweat drops of blood under agony. Both emotionally of the stress that was coming upon him. As he prayed the father would take this cup from him. He began to suffer. But if you would turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. I think it would be important for us to see this Old Testament passage. In light of the wounds of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53 In verse 4 and 5, Isaiah is looking forward to that suffering servant, that one who would come, this man of sorrows in verse 3, who is acquainted with grief, who was despised and we esteemed him not. And look in verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrow and we did esteem him stricken. Beaten, that's the word smitten. It means to be, to to take a blow of God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his, what's the word? Stripes, we are healed. At this point in Luke chapter 9 of where we are in our study, the Lord Jesus Christ it says in that passage, I think verse 35 or 36, that He sets His face towards Jerusalem. And it is towards Jerusalem that He will see this verse come to fruition. His wounds. He will take our wounds upon Him. He will take our bruising and our punishment. He will be crushed for our sins. And as he lays there with his hands over that whipping block and those Roman soldiers take the cat of nine tails and one hand after another that comes across his back as they pluck his beard out and they place that crown of thorns upon his head as he lays there upon the cross as the Roman soldiers, not that he pulls away, but he willingly lays himself there and they nail that nail through his hands and through his feet and he cries out in suffering and agony not just the physical pain, but the spiritual pain pain of taking our sorrow taking our grief upon him and our chastisement our our transgression our iniquities are laid upon him as his heavenly father lays upon him the wrath of all of mankind and he bears that sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him do you remember in john chapter 20 where he appears into the disciples after his resurrection in the upper room. And one of the disciples says, I'm not going to believe that he's resurrected until I see in his hands the scars, until I put my hand in his side, until I see the scars that he bore for me. I will not believe. And there the Lord Jesus Christ appears into Thomas and the disciples in the upper room. And he says, Thomas, put your hands in my hands. Put your hand in. In my side, look at the scars in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. He will continue to wear his wounds and wear his scars. And interesting to prove that, will you look over in the book of Revelation chapter 1. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, the disciple John, who will see the Lord Jesus Christ, he will see him, notice, he will see him as the lamb that was slain. It's a phrase that's going to be repeated in the book of Revelation. In other words, we will be able to see Jesus and see that he was a lamb, and we will see the marks of him being slain. What are those marks? In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds in the earth shall wail because of him. The Bible says in the book of Zechariah that all of Israel will turn and look at him in whom they have pierced, and they will see his scars. You see, Jesus forever changed by the cross and of our sin. He will carry with Him in His body for all of eternity the price that He paid for us. And yet we take sin so lightly. It was our wounds that, covered, that were covered by His wounds. It was our scars that were healed by His scars. It was our stripes that were pulled away by His stripes. It was our tears that are wiped away by His tears. It was our pain that is suppressed by His pain. It is our cross that He was carried upon His cross. It is our curse that He took on Him. And it is our death that was placed upon Him as He suffered and died. Fanny Crosby, who wrote the song in our hymn book, As she said, as a blind woman who had never been able to see, the very first thing that she will see when she gets to heaven, the question was asked to her, how would she know her Savior? She said, I know my Savior first of all. I shall know Him by the print of the nails in His hands. Do you know our Lord Jesus Christ? He's famous. Um, we went to, uh, when I took a doctorate class, we went up to Wisconsin and passed through Green Bay. My dad has been a fan of the Green Bay Packers since the 1960s, and uh, we are well as well Green Bay fans. And so we went to that other holy land in uh, the frozen tundra. We were able to take a tour around the facilities. It was the week before one of their playoff games Uh, playing, I believe, um, Chicago Bears during the playoffs. And as we went through and uh, we were in the gift shop and we were buying some, uh, you know, some souvenirs and some of the the people in there said, there they are! And they all ran out the door and down the steps towards the area where the the athletes were being let out of the locker room and uh, after practice. And uh, so a bunch of them, there was a fenced area and they all lined up against the fence area and they were, they were holding, holding their uh, souvenirs over the fence to crying out for some signatures. My dad ran over and bought one of those $5 foam fingers, you know, and, and he said, come on, let's go down there. It was like four degrees outside. So we went out there and went down the steps. There were only about 10 people that were standing over by the fence. And none of the, none of the athletes were walking over where we are. They were walking out the door and going straight for their car. And they were driving away. And here 10 of us were. So we kind of got all, all kind of bummed. And we turned around to walk back towards the parking lot where we were. And a door out the side underneath the, uh, the gift shop opened up. And three guys walked out. They, they looked like giant couch potatoes. The one guy was, you know, a big guy and had baggy sweatpants on and an oversized t-shirt. And he was just kind of walking along. The other guy standing next to him looked like he had just got out of bed. As far as we're concerned, they looked famous. They had come out a famous door. <laughs> Nobody was around except us three. So we walked over to them. And we held the foam finger in their face. Didn't know who they were as far as, maybe they could have been the janitors, I don't know, and they signed it. Couldn't understand any of the words that were saying there. I got a couple of pictures of there, and they kind of signed it over there. It was all scribble, scrabble. And um, when we got back to the car, uh, we had to get our phones out and Google what numbers we were seeing and what names we were seeing. One of the guys finally found out who his number was, was Desmond Bishop and B.J. Raji, who both ended up that year, ended up winning the Super Bowl for the Green Bay Packers. And um, as far as our concerned, they just look like everyday folk in their pajamas, walking out to their car. And, and yet, you know, we, we got their signature on a foam finger. How famous are we? (laughs) You may have a story similar to that. Listen, when we come to heaven and the doors are opened up to those who trusted Christ as their Savior, we will see Him. And we will know Him by His words that we trusted in, by His works that He did for us. And by his wounds that will forever be revealed to us to show us his love and his care and his compassion. And there are a lot of people who, who fawn and, and, and wail and cry and weep over these uh, superstars and music, music, uh, musicians and uh, athletes and all of that. There's no person that can change your life like Jesus. Of Nazareth, Father, I pray as we close today in this service. Lord, we read week after week, we sing week after week, we pray week after week. Believers who are faithful in their Bible reading and in their prayer and their worship time on a daily basis throughout the day, come boldly before Your throne in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Your words. Thank you for Your works. Thank you most of all for those wounds that you bore, the stripes that you took, the beating and the bruising and the, and the curse that you took on our behalf. And if there is one who is here in this morning service today and does not know Jesus as their Savior, who is still holding on to their sin, would they repent and see the loving Savior who came to suffer die for them? As believers today, would we come and not, not take for granted uh, what it cost you to, to suffer and, and to take our sins and how often we take it lightly we would come before our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ and weep and come with thanksgiving and come with the spirit of worship as we go home today would we turn our eyes upon Jesus with heads bowed and eyes closed I'm going to ask if Stephanie would play the song turn your eyes upon Jesus I don't know what you're going through maybe some struggles or troubles that you may be experiencing the sorrow and the disappointment of life that has happened. Would you know the Lord Jesus Christ, what He has said to you, what He has done for you, and what He will do for you? You can look at Him and see Him full in His wonderful face and know that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior before you leave today, you need to accept His words. It is only by Him. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. No man can come unto the Father but by Jesus. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's only according to His mercy that He saved us. And you need to accept Christ as your Savior. You need to realize what Jesus did on the cross. He did for you. And you need to, by faith, accept Him this morning. If you have any questions, we would love to share with you in the lobby or... A man with a man or a lady with a lady to share with you and show you how you can trust Christ as your Savior. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. We just take a moment in prayer, in reflection before the service is over. Thank you. You can look this way. You stand to our feet. We're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer. I would encourage you, if you're um, visiting our church here at Calvary Baptist and you're interested in becoming a member of Calvary Baptist, we would love to talk to you. Uh, Just come and speak with me after the service today or maybe later uh, this evening. If you come back tonight for the night service, uh, we'd love to to find out about your testimony and uh, love to bring you and let you be a part of our church family. And So if you need any information about that, would you please uh, let me know. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the time we've been able to be under the preaching of your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ that impacts every day. And uh, Lord, would we never grow tired of the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, Lord, encourage us as we go this week, would we be disciples and followers of you as, uh, as, as we work. Lord, bring us back safely this evening if you tarry your coming in our time of communion and uh, worship together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.